This week's episode of the Cincy Shirts Podcast is brought to you by our partners at Gold Star, who figure into this week's episode. Check out our entire collection of Gold Star apparel at cincyshirts.com. Click on the Partners tab, drop-down menu, and select Gold Star Chili, Gold Star Chili, Small Batch Chili, and Handcrafted Hamburgers. Now, on with the show. This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 119. Today on our show, Cincinnati chili historian Dan Wooler. Cincinnati chili can be found in the Middle East, in Bethlehem, right around the corner from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and that's due to the chain called Chili House. And so they have locations, chain locations all over the Middle East, including Jordan, Bethlehem, uh, Iraq, Iran. Can you believe it took us to episode 119 to talk about the history of Cincinnati chili? We did have Roger David, CEO of Gold Star Chili, on episode 55. Go back and check that out. But today we get a detailed overview of Cincinnati chili, courtesy of Dan Wooler, who wrote the book on Cincinnati chili. Literally, The Authentic History of Cincinnati Chili, published in 2012. Now, not only do we get the history of Cincinnati chili, we also find out the many variations on Cincinnati chili around the country. Dan also tells us about other food topics he's written about, including candy and old restaurants. And uh, a disclaimer here, we are partners with Gold Star and Camp Washington Chili, of course, and I moonlight as a social media community manager for Gold Star, but we love them all, so it's all about the chili, folks. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, you can support it by PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code at the end of the episode to get 20% off your entire cincyshirts.com or oldschoolshirts.com order, or both. Now let's talk to Dan Woolert about Cincinnati Chili. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I, Cincinnati. She came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at cincyshirts.com in We've had this in the works for a long time, but uh, Dan, you kind of had a Monday through Friday gig, and but now with the uh, what with the COVID and all, uh, we've been able to get this sorted since we're doing these things uh, over phone and Skype and whatnot. So um, I guess a good place to start would be uh, to get your Cincinnati bona fides. Uh, Darren and I aren't from the area, uh, like Josh is, but uh, I reckon you're from the area originally? Yeah, I, I sort of grew up in the northern burbs of Cincinnati, but um, you know, grew up going to Cincinnati Reds games and Bengals games. And um, if you've heard of the Stingers, which used to be a short-lived hockey team yes <laughs> it, uh, of course we know them well yeah so yeah kind of grew up doing all the the cincinnati things that um that we all know and love now so uh what high school um <laughs> yeah that's that's a required question yes uh so yeah, i went I to a little a little uh, franciscan high school in uh middle city called roger bacon okay there you go so, growing up, what's your first exposure to chili? Because, again, we aren't from around these parts, so we came to it later. Uh, we're interested to see what a, yeah. a proper Cincinnatian's introduction is like. So, it, it, for every Cincinnatian, it really depends upon where you grew up and spent the most time. Or, uh, if you, you know, where you went, if you um, 
went to a chili parlor near your high school. So for me, uh, there was the closest chili parlor was a skyline. So skyline is kind of my home base in terms of chili, but my mother worked for somebody who worked for Empress. And so she was a secretary downtown about two blocks from the second location of Empress chili. And so the chili that she made was from the old Empress chili recipe, which is the original. And, um, so we, it's a little bit, it's kind of more spicy than skyline is more sweet and kind of warm spices like cinnamon and things like that. So we were used to at home, at least eating kind of a more authentic, uh, Cincinnati chili. And then as I went to high school, um, the chili parlor near Roger Bacon was called chili is called chili time. And so we spent a lot of, you know, after football game noshes there eating their chili, which is phenomenal. And, um, you know, as I, uh, got older and worked around the city and whatnot, I experienced some of the other chili part, great chili parlors like Dixie chili over in in Newport and gourmet chili in Newport, of course, Camp Washington chili in Camp Washington and um, many, many others. So I do not, I'm not a Cincinnati chili snob by any means. They are all great in their own right. And I enjoy um, as much variety as I can, as I can find. That's awesome. How many varieties are there? Well, um, so there are, I have. There's about 250 locations, give or take, because, you know, some of the chain restaurants go in and out. Uh, 200 of those are about equally split between Skyline and Gold Star. So there's about 100 Gold Stars and about 100 Skyline Chilies. And within the 275 loop, there's either a Gold Star or a Skyline within five-mile radius of anywhere in the city. So we're pretty wow. well covered in terms of chili parlors. Um, that uh, that exhibits about a $250 million industry, and that's not including all of the what I would call sort of third-tier suppliers. Like um, uh, it, it does include like the supply of, um, say, oyster crackers and buns and, and cheese and onions and things like that. But what it doesn't include are the number of, say, peppermint patties and hot sauce bottles and all these other things, you know, napkins and all the things that we forget about, straws and things like that that we forget about. Um, and, of course, T-shirts, you know. I mean, that, that could be considered part of the industry. Oh, yeah. So Got a few it's of those. Brought our, it's of brought our, yeah, I mean, it's brought our city really um, an industry that it never had and that just continues to grow and, and grow with, you know, the generations. Gosh, I've got so many questions yeah. written down here, but um, I guess a good place to start is where does it, I mean, people kind of know the basic story. Uh, it starts in the 20s. It starts downtown. There's a burlesque theater involved. How does does this delicacy wind up uh, taking over Cincinnati? Where, what are the, what's the genesis story? Exactly. So you're right. In 1922, on October, <clears throat> excuse me, October 24th, a family of Macedonian immigrants by the name of Kirajev started Empress Chili in the Empress Burlesque Theater. So it was really sort of a, a stag late night hangout for people that wanted to see a hoochie coo dance and get a, a bowl of chili afterwards. And <laughs> just a while. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
it, uh, it, it kind of, um, it was new and exotic. It was something that, uh, so the stew is based on uh, a Greek Macedonian or Balkan stew called saltsakima, which is basically, it just translates into meat sauce. And it's very similar to Cincinnati chili. It's got a, a, a cinnamon and what I call the warm spices base. So the, the things that you might find in a gingerbread cookie, like ginger, cinnamon, cumin, um, allspice, uh, things like that. But what they did was to call it chili, they added chili powder and spiced it up a little bit and to make it more Americanized, if you will. And they put it on top of spaghetti and it was called Chili Mac. So this was before the three-way was invented. This is 1922. So um, they existed at the Empress Burlesque for, uh, into the mid-30s. And then they moved out of the Empress and moved to a, a location on Fifth Street where the Chiquita building is today. Um, neither of the first two locations of Empress are, are standing anymore, which is unfortunate. But uh, so it was there that the three-way was invented. And I interviewed... Um, the founder's son, and uh, he said that in the 30s, um, a, a customer came in and said, hey, could I get some shredded cheddar cheese on the side to top my chili mac? They did. It became very popular, and then it became the most popular dish um, of the menu, and it was called the three-way. And so then, um, you know, because it was added to the uh, chili mac, they also added it to the coney, which was what I would call naked at the time. It was just chili sauce on top of a hot dog and a bun. And that became the Cincinnati cheese coney. So it wasn't really until the 1930s that the chili, Cincinnati chili three-way and cheese coney that we know today was invented. And so a part of uh, the Empress chili model was uh, being located next to uh, theaters. And they were very helpful with all of the immigrants from their country, from Macedonia and later Greece that came to Cincinnati in helping them get set up in chili parlors. So every chili parlor today, including both Gold Star and Skyline, can trace its origin back to somebody who worked at the original Empress Chili. And it wasn't considered, you know, like bad competition or bad blood. They were actually trying to help their fellow countrymen start businesses. And so that's how chili parlors spread throughout the city. Almost every neighborhood that had a theater had its own independent chili parlor before, you know, the, the uh, massive chain restauranting of this, the seventies that started in the seventies. So for example, wow. Northside had the park, the park theater that right across the street, they had park chili. Oakley has the 20th century. Um, there was a 20th century chili parlor and there were, there were several, there were about, two or three other chili parlors within Oakley Square back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. What's unfortunate, in a sense, is that, you know, the big chaining um, of Gold Star and Skyline in the 70s and 80s really was the demise of all the independent chili parlors, although we have a few like Camp Washington Chili that are strong and exist today, but those are kind of the anomalies. Um, so that's that's kind of how... Um, chili parlors spread throughout the city. Any neighborhood that had its own little, you know, two-screen movie theater also had a chili parlor either wow. attached or very close. Yeah. So is, is that 
uh, almost like the, that business trend is that unique to Cincinnati or like did like te- Texas chili didn't doesn't have Texas chili parlors and like you know or just the, the connection to the theaters is that is that something that's exclusively Cincinnati or are there you know in Philadelphia do they have you know cheesecake places right across from I don't know. That's just, I've never, never heard of that. And that, uh, it's kind of, yeah, I mean, you want to kind of exploded that way. Yeah. So, I mean, so for any food business, you want, you know, it's location, location. It's, uh, where's the largest foot traffic where, you know, where are the most customers? So to them, they found, you know, because the first, really the first chili parlor was in a, a burlesque theater. Certainly, um, <laughs> there weren't as many burlesque theaters as there were just kind of family, um, showcase, theaters. Um, but you know, they, they found that that was a good model for getting, uh, for getting and predicting the amount of foot traffic, uh, that would come by, you know, in other cities, I think it was more common with maybe soda fountains and ice cream shops that were by theaters, but in Cincinnati, you know, that that's where typically our, um, our chili parlors were. So you said that the uh, all these immigrants helped each other. I know that the Dowds bought Hamburger Heaven in 1965, but with it came a chili recipe. How did the Hamburger Heaven folks pre the Dowd family were they part of that, or was that just something that they they weren't part of that whole process? Yeah, so they they bought uh, the Dowd brothers who were from Jordan. They're the only chili parlor pioneers who were not from you know the Balkans. Um, they bought it from a family called the Manoffs, and Thomas Manoffs' father was um, an, an immigrant from the same area as the Kirajas. Ah, okay. uh, his name was Petro Manoff, and he had originally worked for Nick Sarakatsanis, who had worked for the Kirajas at Empress Chili. And Petro Manoff opened a chili parlor by a theater in Newport, Kentucky called the Strand Theater, and he called it the Strand Chili Parlor. And he sort of, uh, you know, weaned his, he weaned his son into the business. His son owned hamburger places. Uh, he owned a place called Tip Top Hamburgers over on the west side of Cincinnati. And then he bought um, Hamburger Heaven on Beachmont Avenue in Mount Washington in the 50s. Um, he, he and his wife decided they wanted to retire to California. And he gave it to his, or he sold it to his um his wife's brother-in-law, who was uh, last name was Marsh, and Marsh was who sold it in '65 to the Daoud brothers. So that recipe, that chili recipe, really descends from Empress Chili, and it came through the Manoff family. And then the Daouds took it, and um, they sort of modified it to their uh, maybe Jordanian tastes. And so, as a result, you know, as these chili recipes kind of go through families and are modified over the years they become just a little bit different from each other. So someone can taste the Skyline chili and a Gold Star chili and taste the differences. And, you know, um, maybe they prefer one or the other. Um, and now I wrote a, so, a blog post a, a couple of years ago for the, our site about uh, Coney's. And it seems like this isn't particularly unique to Cincinnati. Of course, the, Detroit, there's two places right next door to each other. And people have opinions. Right. And then there's Oklahoma, I think, weirdly, has a big culture, I guess, and Green Bay, but they're different. Like people in Detroit are mortified. We put cheese on our conies. That's that's just heresy to them. 
So it, it, is this kind of a similar right. story in those towns where it's Greek immigrants, people from the Balkans are bringing their recipe and then it kind of gets localized and becomes, you know, part of more of the, the local culture? Yeah. So, um, you know, all of them came through Ellis Island, New York City, and they all saw Coney Island, which is where the Coney gets its name. And the Coney, Coney stands of Coney Island were it started by Greek immigrants around, uh, you know, when all these uh, young men from the Balkans started immigrating to America, which was around 1890 to the 1910s. And so they saw this and, you know, it doesn't take a lot of capital to have a Coney cart, you know, and to make chili. And so they took it as they sort of migrated away from New York and found communities in Detroit, for example, like you said, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, there's a great place in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Coney Islander, which has conies. And so that salt tequila, or that whatever they call it, um, we call it chili. A lot of people call it Greek sauce. They call it Coney sauce, that kind of thing. That traveled with these immigrants as they formed communities elsewhere. And so you're right. There are Coney traditions all over the United States that come out of Coney Island. So the Kirajifs brought that with, with them to Cincinnati, but they also were the only ones that started this chili mac, chili on top of noodles. And so that's why we are the only ones that have the three-way with uh, cheddar cheese on top. And that's, that's very unique to us. But the Coney itself, without cheddar cheese, is not unique um, to other Greek uh, communities within the United States. It's funny you mention that because, yeah. um, and I'll have, a, I'll have a disclaimer before the interview, because um, not only are Gold Star partners of Cincy Shirts, but um, as one of my side jobs, uh, I'm a community manager for Gold Star's uh, social media. And uh, somebody had, oh, inst- cool. somebody on Instagram had posted saying, oh, I made Cincinnati-style chili, but it was it was Tex-Mex chili over noodles. And I had to point out and say, well, there, um, uh, there's a little more to it than that. Cause I think Steak and Shake serves it that way, but it's more, more of a chili con carne. It's not... Uh, the uh, the the Greek uh, chili that we know and love, but um, I think it's interesting that people don't really know. They think they're putting chili on top of noodles, and they think they've got Cincinnati chili sorted, and uh, and in reality they don't. It's very it's a very specific difference, and um, you know the the te- um, forget the name of the site, but a couple of years ago, someone just bad mouthed Cincinnati chili and just said it was. You know, I can't even I think repeat what they said. There was a, I know there was some guy that wrote a book outside of the loop. Yeah, exactly. There was yeah. there was some guy that wrote a book, and he was on um, uh, 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 what's the show on NPR? The guy from Wisconsin, the, the the professor that has the show. Um, not much. You uh, well, what do you know? And he had this guy on at the end of the show, and he'd written this book about all the, these local fast food chains around the country. Not big ones like McDonald's and Burger King, but kind of local regional ones. And so the host asked him, he said, what's the worst fast food you ever had? And this guy says, it was a place called Gold Star Chili in Kentucky. And they go, why is that? He goes, well, it's this, it's this parody of spaghetti. The guy had absolutely no – didn't even bother asking any questions. Like, dude, if you're going to write a book, maybe ask some questions. You know, Why is this like this? To be fair – uh, my first encounter with chili, Cincinnati chili, didn't go very well either. And I'm curious, Darren, since you're from outside the area too, what was your first encounter with it? Oh, man. Well, let's see. Uh, the actual – I came into Cincinnati in 97. I went to Art Academy. And we moved into my uh, apartment. 
And then uh, my roommate was like, hey, we got to go up the street to Skyline Chili. So I went in there. Got, I went for the Coney's. I was afraid of the chili. Didn't want to try that yet. Huh. Um, but for some reason, I, so I, so I, but I got I got cheese Coney's, you know, how you're supposed to get chili and everything. Um, but I insisted on putting ketchup on them. Probably for the first six months, I, I also put added ketchup on top of it. So, oh my gosh! So that was that was some weird thing. I was like, "Wait a second! I'm eating a hot dog, and I love <laughs> ketchup on my hot dog, so I have to add it to this." So that was that was probably not the best way to be introduced. But um, <laughs> I mean, I, I ate it off and on through college. It wasn't great, but then um, once I started, you know, dating uh, uh, my wife, um, she she is like a two three time a weeker, so. Uh, you know, that for her. makes me a good <laughs> woman. Yeah, so, so she's she's kind of all day. Um, so it's uh, we don't we don't get to branch out very much and try all these different varieties, but um, yeah, well, but yeah, there's I've definitely grown to appreciate it over the years. Yeah, I am. Um, I went to college in Bowling Green, and in one of the big, we, we were in the big dorms on the east side of campus, for people familiar, and within the two big dorms, there were like little fast food stands, and one of them was, it was called Zinzi's or something like that, like it was Cincinnati, and I had no clue that there was something separate called Cincinnati Chili, I just thought it was chili, and of course, like most folks who try it for the first time, I was mortified. Uh, I was like, this is terrible, I just put it down to the fact that it was just terrible college fast food, didn't think anything of it. Uh, living in Cleveland, my wife had lived in Cincinnati with her sister for a few years. We're both from Cleveland. She goes, I'm going to take you. There's a Skyline location in Cleveland. There's a couple. And she took me there, and she's like, oh, this is great. You're going to love this. And I ate it, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is fine. I have since become obsessed. She's not as keen as she used to be, but um, it, it is something I think if you're a transplant, it does. It takes a while to take root, but then once it does, I mean, it sticks with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the, the um, Clifton Skyline. So one of the things that kind of makes chili parlors unique is the chili parlor waitress and why there's not a, a country song or a pop <laughs> song about the chili waitress. I, I will never know. Somebody should write one. But at the, <laughs> at the uh, Clifton, yeah, at the Clifton skyline, there was a waitress when I was going to college by the name of Squeaky. And she was this, you know, she had this garbly voice and she was, super sassy and she was always on late shift. So after all the bars let off and all the hungry drunks wanted chili, they came and squeaky had to deal with them. And she was, you know, she could hold her own and she was just the greatest woman um, ever. And so I don't know where she is today, but squeaky made many a, um, a Saturday night, just a, a, a fun and a Sunday morning, a fun affair. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that Clifton skyline. How many how many college memories everybody have there? <laughs> it's just right. I remember. Yeah. Going. Well, I probably don't remember half of them, but um, but yeah. Dang. That, uh, there's some debauchery in that place. Yeah, you were yeah, mentioning how you know sure. how people from you know, we were talking about people from out of town. You know, first or. or a little shocked. Do you think that is the usual reaction? Because it sure seems, especially at least from my other job, I know this is people that, you know, they they come expecting Chillicon Carney that they're visiting on business or a friend have brought them there. Or sometimes people are just driving through and they see a chili parlor and then they write. And occasion, I would say like a third of the people are like, wow, this is a great new dish. And most of them the first time are like, what in the world? Do you think that's the common reaction? Or Yeah. 
Yeah, I think if you're not prepped for it, um, yeah, exactly. You know, you're, you're you're expecting something different with the connotation of chili. And I've I've introduced a lot of friends and family members who aren't from Cincinnati to Cincinnati chili, and they're just kind of you know they're weirded out at first. It takes a while for them to to get used to it and to understand what it's all about. But like you said, once once you have it a second and third time, and you kind of get it. It, uh, it becomes a, becomes a norm for you. Here's a fun wrinkle. My mother-in-law introduced, she puts it over rotini and that's the way we all eat it now. We don't usually use, uh, spaghetti. Oh. yeah, it's a little, little twist on the recipe. Ha. Um, but it's, yeah, really, there's yeah, there's it's really go. good that way. And kids right. like it too. Right. Those that chili and those little curls. A yeah. Little better. Not as messy for the young people too, folks. So a little, little pro tip there. Um, you'd mentioned chili time and I know there's, I think there's one still left in St. Bernard because I think Josh talks about this sometimes. And, uh, as it turns yeah, out, there is. okay. And, but, the, and that used to be a small chain, right? Well, th- there were, I wouldn't call it a chain. There were a couple of locations. There were two locations. I think there was one, if I recall correctly, it was on Redding Road. Yeah, somewhere out on Redding Road, but there were there were only two. Now, there was one on Beachmont, um, and I only know this because of the Anderson Facebook uh, old photos page. The chili time is where Gold Star is now, but in between that, it was Kentucky Fried Chicken. So it went from being chili time, it closed or whatever. We got a KFC, which is what it was when I moved here in 93, and then about four or five years ago, the Kentucky Fried Chicken left and Gold Star moved up the street from its old location in Cherry Grove to where it is now. So that's why I thought there, were, there might be more locations of it. Cause, and, um, well, the, 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 the Mount, uh, Mount Washington Gold Star location is the original Gold Star location. Yes. They've, they've remodeled it. I mean, the original building isn't there anymore. It's a, a modern um, scratch and um, rebuild, but... Yeah, that's that. That is the original Gold Star Hamburger Heaven location. Yes. So Chili Time only had those couple locations. It wasn't a a, a bigger deal because because you said like a lot of those right and became a two horse race essentially. Yeah, like uh, the the only two chili parlors other than Skyline and Gold Star that really um, tried to chain or, or did chain were Dixie Chili over in uh, Northern Kentucky. There's three sites now, but there used to be like five or six. In fact, they had, um, they were the only chain at the time that had chili parlors on both sides of the river. They, um, up in what's called university Plaza in Clifton in Corryville, they had a, a Dixie location there for a couple of years until Marchot, who, um, owned that property, wanted to build a video store and she kicked them out to build, um, a, a blockbuster video. Yeah, you got Um, the other, chili parlor that tried to chain was um chili company and uh they they had they had about five or six uh chili companies one of which was in oakley and many more on the west side you know what i might be confusing chili time and chili company maybe it was chili company that was on beachmont where gold star is now next to first i'll look that up and let everybody know on the other side of the interview because now that that sounds more familiar they look very similar small brown square buildings with uh, a gold logo maybe hmm maybe i'm sorry i'm getting confused um now we know skyline has a they have a one store down in florida the the one they have i think one or two in cleveland um because i think my daughter went to the one in cleveland so they're still there what how far flung is cincinnati chili beyond that i know gold star the furthest east they go is Maysville. Furthest west is Versailles, Indiana. Uh, furthest north, I think, is Dayton. Yeah, so um, 
as far as the continental United States goes, uh, Florida, Fort Lauderdale is, is probably the, um, the furthest out, but Cincinnati chili can be found in the middle East in, um, particularly in Bethlehem, right around the corner from the church of the Holy Sepulchre where, uh, Jesus Christ was supposedly born. And that's due to, uh, one of the sons of the founders of, uh, Gold Star Chili, who started a chain called Chili, uh, Chili House. And so they have locations, chain locations all over the Middle East, including Jordan, um, Bethlehem, uh, Iraq, Iran. Oh, wow. So a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, American GIs who've been over there are like, floor to find this Cincinnati chili um, in, you know, the Middle East. Is it the Gold Star recipe, or is it, just, again, another, they kind of took the basic recipe and modified it? No, it's it's um, it's um the Gold Star recipe, because the, the Dauds are, you know, it, it's beef, so it's, mm-hmm. it's um, it kind of, it does transcend sort of the Muslim halal uh, diet, so there's no pork. I think they use all beef hot dogs in their conies, so that also transcends. Yeah, it's popular. It's um, because again, it's a it's sort of a Levantine or Middle Eastern stew to begin with, so it it translates or it it kind of is kind of comes to home, and you know, and you you put a mound of shredded cheddar cheese on top of anything. That's <laughs> not the love, right? Right. So, um, it's, and you can yeah, still find the original uh, dish in the Middle East that the that Cincinnati chili is based off of, I assume. Yeah, right. And would you recognize it as, would you say, so, wow, this is a lot, like, or is it that much different now that it's been, you know, Cincinnatiized over the past almost almost 100 years now, I guess? Yeah, we're two years away from our 100th anniversary. It, yeah, I mean, it's been Americanized. So, you know, the 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 Kima that the, the Greeks and Macedonians knew is, you know, they would not recognize Cincinnati chili as a derivative of that probably. If you put it in front of them, they'd be like, "What's this?" <laughs> it's we've we, we've taken it and made it our own for sure. <laughs> so, is there anyone that's taking ours and trying to make it their own? I mean, are there any variations or any new uh, evolutions of uh, of the Cincinnati yeah. chili? Man, you know, like last couple so of years, was, the extreme cheese has been big, but I don't know. I, I, you know, people talk about six ways. And, I don't know. Yeah, what are, what are people trying? Like, where? Yeah. So right before all this craziness happened, um, there was a, a a chili parlor that opened in Over the Rhine called OTR Chili, and the chef was kind of going to amp it up and um, make it a little bit more gourmet. Use lamb maybe and uh, do some experimentation. You know, they were in business maybe a couple of months before all this happened, so. Um, I haven't followed up with them to see how they're doing, if they even were open for carryout. But, you know, that was kind of that, I would say, the next generation of uh, Cincinnati chili, kind of elevating it to a different level. But, you know, there are some of the parlors that have the standard is up to five-way, which is, you know, a three-way with beans and onions. But uh, like Dixie Chili puts jalapeno caps on it. Um, there are others that put garlic. Um, and I think uh, Camp Washington has maybe a six or seven way that they put different things on. So, you know, some of the chili parlors have experimented with different toppings, but, you know, not many of them have really 
ventured outside of the formula of the three-way as the base. <laughs> Can you taste a yeah. difference? Because I, I've eaten Gold Star, Skyline, uh, Pleasant Ridge, and, uh, and of course, the, the when you get in the grocery store that just says Cincinnati Chili on it comes in the blue pack. And really, maybe in my head, I would tell you Gold Star is slightly spicier, but beyond that, in a blind taste test, I could not. Josh, our Josh Need claims he could tell the difference between at least between the two big chains. Uh, is that is that something people you can do? You reckon? Because people do have opinions, even within the chili community. Yeah. So um, I had a uh, an event at um, the Wyoming Historical Society with about, about there was about 125 folks there, and we had a we had a taste off a blind taste off between Gold Star and Skyline, and only about 50% of the people were able to identify the difference. <laughs> yeah, I think people, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. People, and, I, and I've also done events where we have three different chilies um, in a blind taste test, and it's even, you know, it's even a smaller amount of people that can identify them. And I think, you know, like you said, in our head, we know which one we like, but I, don't, I think it's not necessarily that there's a huge difference in taste. It's more about the experience and what we grew up on, what we know, where we get, you know, what we consider our home base, which is maybe more the entire experience rather than just the taste of it. Yeah, I think it's weird. Maybe it's so. because of my other job has skewed my opinion, but it it's weird to me how many people do have strong opinions as opposed to just celebrating the idea that we have this unique dish here that we really don't have anywhere else in the country. I mean, yeah, they, like we said, there's Tulsa and Detroit, but but it's not the same. It is very uniquely Cincinnati still and uh, kind of surprising. It really hasn't grown beyond the area. Yeah, it's it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of the same dynamic as Geta. Geta doesn't translate much outside of the, the 275 loop and if you ask someone in Dayton what a what a cottage ham was, they'd probably not know what that is either. So um, there's a lot of things regional, you know, uh, idiosyncratic foods that we have in Cincinnati that don't translate outside of that 275 loop. When you travel, do you like look for foods like that? Like you go to say Seattle and go, what's the? Is there some unique food here that's just a part of this part of this culture and not really outside of the Pacific Northwest or wherever you may happen to be? Yeah, I do. And um, luckily, I have a job. I'm in marketing and product management, so I do get to travel um, quite a bit. And so I'm always looking for that, you know, that regional weird food that I can uh, delve into a history of and, you know, uh, really understand how it fits into the regional culture. I I love that. And so I I have a blog that I, I do that kind of explore regional foods. You know, I, it all started with Cincinnati chili for me. And what prompted you to write the book? Just your passion for the, the chili itself or the fact that you're, you uh, are a foodie or what's, what was the impetus behind that? Yeah, I mean, kind of all of it. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was writing history and I'm like, well, you know, why has nobody ever written a book about Cincinnati chili? Because there's really a great history. And it's really an immigrant history, and it you know it's such a great story. So I'm like, hey, why not? And pitched it to my publisher, and they're like, yeah, sure, let's do it. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, it was kind of I guess a couple of there was there's been a chilla a group that wrote a Cincinnati chili passport kind of um, small little book coffee table book, and aside from that, there's not really a whole lot of sources. And 
one of the other things was is that you know we're we're up on a hundred years, and I wrote this in 2012, and a lot of the original chili parlor pioneers were, you know, were starting to leave us, and so um, it was really important for me to kind of document those oral histories and those stories of you know straight from the the pioneers. Um, and, and get that is, is kind of, you know, my sort of gift to Cincinnati to record that and to um, put that in one, one source. Yeah, and so, uh, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, fortunately, I was able to interview the majority of the um, Chile pioneers, including the, the Kirajas who had both passed on. But after my book, seven, within a year, seven of those Chile pioneers um, passed away. So I was very lucky to get kind of the interviews in that I did to, you know, document their, their stories. It's funny. It was a, uh, someone did a post uh, on, I think, I think it was on Twitter and it might've been on Instagram and Facebook as well, but it was nine images of food. And I think there was graders, UDF, Skyline Gold Star, Geta, some of the, and, and the thing was, you have to, you have to pick two. And I commented as Gold Star, I'm like, boy, because we're not, we're not really interested in fighting with the other side. Uh, in fact, Roger David was on this very podcast and said, we make each other better. So he knows what time it is. Um, but uh, I commented, well, how great is it that of these nine pictures, two of them are chili parlors. You would not find this anywhere else in the country. I mean, there's two ice cream parlors on there, but there's ice cream everywhere. You know, it's the UDF greater, both great, but, you know, it's ice cream. You know, I, I, th- I thought it was so cool that two of your choices were chili parlors. Yeah, that's that's great. Just it goes to show how uh, how ingrained into our city's culture it is, really. Yeah, have you written any other books? I have. So um, uh, I just came out uh, at the end of last year, um, the history of Geta, um, Cincinnati Geta. Prior to that, I wrote a book about the history of the candy industry in Cincinnati, and then prior to that, between the Chili book, I wrote um, historic restaurants of Cincinnati. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, I've I've kind nice. of been been in that uh, regional food history uh, gig for uh, the last probably uh, seven years. Yeah, and if, if you order uh, off CincyShirts.com, you'll get uh, some French chews um, thrown in the packages, which are you know made by our friends at Dosher's. Um, That's right. So yeah. I'm guessing they're they they definitely were a part of your book then, huh? Or, they are. Yeah. How, many, they, how many how many candy companies are over 100 years old here locally? Yeah, right. Very few. Very few of them are, and they're they're one of the oldest. They're one of the oldest in the country for sure. Wow. And, and any other really? any other interest that you haven't covered yet, food wise, that you want to uh, do with? Are there like any soda pops that are? Because that's another big regional it, thing. You go over to Indiana. But the blue ice cream. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. Smart I mean, I've only. <laughs> exactly. I've only I've only scratched the surface of weird foods in Cincinnati. I mean, there's so many. Uh, yeah, so you go over to um with with the soda pop thing or or uh, pop as we say here in the Midwest. Soda as they say west of the Mississippi. Uh you go over to southern Indiana and the big thing there is double cola, which is actually from Tennessee, I think. But in southern right, Indiana, yeah. it's it's proper. And so is the it, it there are so there are sister their sibling brand is like is the lemon lime. I think it's called Bubble Up. Yeah, that's a yeah. whole yeah, and then uh, over on the East Coast, Boylan is uh, the popular thing. You ever thought of delving into the into the soft drink industry? Yeah, I mean, um, I've done some blogs about it. You know, basically, 
the the soft drink industry as we know it kind of started in the south um, as a industry during the reconstruction phase after the civil war so coca-cola was from atlanta georgia uh double cola was kind of a a knockoff of that uh, later in the the teens you know there's there's cheer wine there's oh, yeah. l8 there's such a great history of our colas you know and we've we've got some we're famous because um our uh our barks bottler uh was the one that kind of invented uh cream soda oh and you know we have a lot we have a lot of now now sort of dead soda brands that popped up in cincinnati and northern kentucky so yeah i mean that's a that's a fun history too yeah yeah you think of beer when you think of cincinnati well like see a chapter just on tap <laughs> right, the the probably the most disgusting uh, diet cola that was ever invented, in my opinion. My <laughs> sister in law. Oh, is it is it diet? I guess I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it, it predates um diet coke. I don't know if it predates diet. Wasn't diet right the first diet cola, or was tab? You might. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. But it, they're right around the same. It's the sixties. My sister in law's sister in law is obsessed with tab. Drinks cans after can of it a day. And I've never seen anybody in my life actually like Tab. But I remember when I was a kid, that, that stuff tasted gross. But um, were there other pops that were unique to Cincinnati? Apart, You said the, the Barks Bottler came up with cream soda, which I didn't know. Were there any other ones? Like up in yeah, Cleveland, we had Cotton Club. Yeah, I mean, um, there, were, there were a lot. I can't, uh, none of the names recall because they were, um, you know, each neighborhood sort of had its own kind of cola back in the day because there were, you know, soda fountains mixed their own vichy water with different syrups and things like that. And that's kind of how the local yokel colas came about is from the, you know, the soda fountain era of the 1890s to the, you know, up into, um, up and through actually the, um, prohibition. So, um, you know, that's how a lot of them got their start. And then, you know, the Coca-Cola and Pepsi and the big ones, all had national bottler contracts and that was kind of the death of the local soda. Do you think we're kind of losing that regional uniqueness because, you know, you come to Cincinnati and go to some unique chili parlors. You can go to Pittsburgh and buy some chipped ham. You can eat pierogies in Cleveland, you know, cheesesteaks kind of taken over. Uh, you know, you can get that anywhere in the country now, but that's a Philadelphia thing, even though I understand it's different. They use American cheese in Philadelphia is on a real, if, if I'm not mistaken, maybe, you know, but are we using that kind of losing that regional uniqueness as these things branch out or, is, you know, we get, you know, fast food chains get bigger and bigger or is there still, you know, room for these, you know, unique restaurants and dishes and delicacies? Yeah, I think uh, it's twofold. I, I think that a lot of young um, restaurateurs, especially in Cincinnati, really are kind of developing a respect for the regional foods and trying to to bring them back and maybe um, elevate them or amp them up a little bit. But, you know, the, the death of the regional food is, has been chain restaurants like McDonald's and Wendy's and things like that. You know, just uh, the, the, the national grocery chains have killed kind of a lot of the, uh, for example, luncheon meats that were part of our Germanic heritage. Like, have you ever heard of olive loaf and pickle loaf and, uh, the Hamilton Met and things like that. Those were all Cincinnati uh, developed meats that um, Cons used to make. And then when Cons was bought out by, um, you know, the national uh, 
I can't think of who bought them out, but you know, they, they took a lot of those regional products and, you know, discontinued them just because they were creating for a mass market rather than a regional market like cons was. And so in that sense, we we lost a lot of these regional unicorns that, you know, our parents and grandparents grew up on. But then in some cases, those that have survived, the younger gen- generations are, are really developing a an appreciation for those and trying to bring back the ones that are still able to be brought back, I think. That's interesting. I never knew pickle loaf was from Cincinnati. What's that? That's yeah, true. I said, I never knew pickle loaf was from Cincinnati. Uh, that was something I, I don't know, my mom would always get. Yeah, we had that up in, in Cleveland. Oh, really? Okay. Did you, Darren, did you have, growing up near Kent, yeah. did you have what we call chip chop ham in Cleveland, or as they call it, chipped ham in Pittsburgh? Oh, yeah. We okay, yeah. Chip chop right. And that I've never <laughs> found that anywhere else in the country. Dan, you know what that is, right? Are you familiar being a, a foodie? Yeah. Okay. Yes, definitely. Yeah. For the listener, it's um, it's ham that's shaved really thin, but so thin, though, that it breaks up, but it's not shredded. It's a very interesting consistency. And, uh, boy, it's yummy on a, a, a hamburger bun with some lettuce. Mm-mm-mm. There's good eating youngsters. And I think that might have been invented by a, an ice cream chain by the name of um, Gully. Is it Scally's or Scully's? Um, that also invented the um, the Eskimo pie. Oh, uh, and they were yeah, and uh, they were from northern northern Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Um, trying to think, I thought Isley's invented the Eskimo pie. Maybe not. Isley's, Isley's. Was Isley's? Okay, Isley's. yeah. You know, you yeah. may be right. And then Lawson's was another big in the Cleveland area for the uh, for the chip chop hang yeah. situation. Yeah. So, what is your favorite food? Being of like, you, you, your wife has you a birthday meal. Your honey, what I, I'd like to have this for dinner for my birthday. What, what do you, what do you get? <laughs> that's a, you know, that's a difficult, uh, that's a difficult question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of anything fusion. Um, I'm fascinated by the fusion between like Asian food and. American food, you know, and, and certainly Cincinnati chili is a fusion food. It's American Greek, right? You know, I, um, I'm i a big fan of schnitzel. I come from a, a Germanic ah. family background. So that, um, you know, there's a couple of places in Cincinnati. The Lubecker makes my favorite schnitzel of all time. And they make a great um, curry sauce that I um, usually ask them to put on it even though it's, it was designed for the currywurst. And then, of course, Mecklenburg Gardens makes a fantastic uh, schnitzel as well. I believe Laszlo's now, out, no out one east. Has, oh, yeah, Laszlo's makes a good, Laszlo's Iron Skillet. There you go. That makes a good schnitzel. So what are some of the great, because I'm speaking, we almost lost Laszlo's. That's why I, I'm asking this question. And they, uh, of course, moved from their Newtown location, which burned down out east uh, closer to Amelia, but what what are some of the great restaurants that we've uh, lost? We have a few old shirts. We have, of course, Johnny Bench's Home Plate and and things like that. But what what are some of the great forgotten restaurants of Cincinnati that people would recall? Oh man, yeah. So um, you know, as a as a student of University of Cincinnati, two of the great restaurants that I miss are in the Wood. They had oh, yeah. something called the Potato Crisp um, that was just the best hangover cure in the world. <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of this cheesy, oniony, garlicky, bacony um, mound of potatoes and other things that was just awesome on a Sunday morning. Um, the other one was a place called Zeno's in um, Short Vine in Coryville. 
and they they were like a um, Italian pizzeria in an old fire station, and they had something called the Zenover, which was kind of like a a cross between a calzone and a stromboli, and it was out of this world. Hmm. Um, yeah, so we those are the Zenover shirt. Oh, do you? Cool. Yeah. Um, awesome. What about the high low burger that, that Sandy's had? Like, uh, like what's what's that all about? You know anything about that? Yeah, weren't they a chain? A Midwest Sandy's? chain? Yeah. yeah. Or were they based here? Because I know so they were. They Sandy's like, was is it just um, a regular burger. Like, what makes it a high low burger? Well, um, you know, Sandy's was one of the um, McDonald's knockoffs. You know, they, uh, Sandy was kind of this Scottish laugh, <laughs> their logo. And so it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek uh, copy off of McDonald's, which is a Scottish name. And so they were just kind of a, another fast food version. But, um, you know, they were very, there were a lot of locations in the West Side. So um, a lot of people on the West Side, that was their... Um, introduction to a hamburger versus a McDonald's. And so a lot of West Side, West Siders were very into the whole Sandy's um, hamburgers. And there used to be something they had over there on an annual basis called West Fest. And there was always a booth that recreated the Sandy's high-low and the double-decker burger, the big Sandy that they made um, at that festival. And so, uh, yeah. West Side loves their Sandys, high low and um, big Sandy burgers. <laughs> Do you remember uh, the Golden Point? For sure. The, say that again. Do you remember the Golden Point fast food chain from the sixties? I don't. I, that's a new one. Yeah, they only lasted Gold for a couple Point, of yeah. years. Same thing, uh, fast, you know, burger uh, thing. If you go to uh, Lockland, behind the high school to the left, there's a daycare center. It is an old Golden Point restaurant location. And uh, I sent our friend Ronnie Salerno there, the guy that's the Queen City Discovery blog, who loves abandoned stuff and old stuff. And as soon as I told him about it, he goes, "What's the address? I got to go see this thing." And uh, yeah, with these, uh, it was a green and orange restaurant. The big point of the it was a square building with a big a triangular orange point on top of it. And yeah, they were uh, they were around a couple hundred locations for a few years, and they burned out almost as quickly as they came. There's one on Beachmont where uh, Krispy Kreme is now, and uh, yeah, similar oh, really? similar deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that could be a book in itself, like uh, Cincinnati Double Deckers. I mean, there were so many. There was the Country Boy. There was um, the Big Tucker. Um, there was uh, Red Barn had a Big Barney Burger. I mean, uh, Red Barn. What's yeah. interesting? What's interesting is that um, Cincinnati burgers are more. More of them have tartar sauce than Thousand Island. And so, when, for example, when um, when Frisch's bought, when uh, Bob or David Frisch bought the, the Frisch's chain from California, the big boy in California is a tar- as a um, Thousand Island dress double decker. When he brought it to Cincinnati, he created the, the tartar sauce dress burger. And so all of the knockoff, the Frisch's knockoffs in Cincinnati had a tartar sauce dress burger. And McDonald's was the only one that had a Thousand Island dress uh-huh. um, Big Mac their double decker so it's another weird cincinnati thing we like our tartar sauce <laughs> yeah well and i remember uh and i don't remember i was probably too young to have such a sophisticated taste when i was because we had a uh, a big boy it was manners they were of course they were all differently franchised i don't know if manners did a tartar sauce or not i know when i was in college the um the big boy across from campus definitely had tartar sauce cause that's where i started to learn to dip my french fries in it 
Uh huh. Yeah, you're you're right. That is a whole other story. That should be a book. The whole big because I I didn't know until I worked for this company and I was doing some research that there were probably two three dozen different big boy franchisees around the country, and like every city had a different one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Pittsburgh Eaton Park had the license, and uh, like I said, Manners in Cleveland, and then uh, of course Frisch is here. So. Uh, another another weird unique and see another thing we've lost we've lost all these unique hamburger joints there's really not i really can't think of a, a hamburger place that's not a huge chain in any of the cities i've been to recently well there's whataburger in texas i guess and in and out burger in california and they won't expand because they uh say they they like to have their distribution center close to the restaurants so they built one in texas so yeah. texas folks have in and out burger and then you've got Nevada, Arizona, and California, but that's it. Unless they build a new distribution center, you're not getting an in-and-out burger. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's, you're definitely right. Um, so uh, the the name of the book, the the Chili Book, you can promote all the books if you like, of course. We, know we mentioned a couple of them, but it's The Authentic History of Cincinnati Chili. Did I get that right? Yes. Av- available wherever fine books are sold. And uh, and what anything else you wanted to promote? You said you, you have a blog, a website, anything else you want to want to plug? Yeah, so um, there, I have a Facebook page for the authentic history of Cincinnati chili. Um, Cincinnati's oldest getter recipe also has a Facebook page, uh, which is part of the book. Um, Cincinnati candy also has one. Um, my blog is Dan Weller, the food etymologist. And so there's about five years of content of kind of my journey through regional foods starting in the greater Cincinnati area. And um, yeah, so... You can you can go on that for free and check out uh, some fun stories about weird food. Awesome. Okay, great. Nice. And uh, do you want to do the honors on okay. the code, Darren? Yes. Yeah, so uh, every episode, we always ask our guest to give us a word or phrase uh, that'll be used as this week's promo code. They uh, can use that promo code at com. save 20% off of their order. So it's up to you. Is there any, anything uh, you think stands out from this interview that we can use for the code this week? Uh, this week's code. Give me give me some seconds to. How about big decision? Um, how about go Empress? Okay, go Empress. All right. Not sure our partners will be keen, but they're, again, they're they're good kids. Um, Great. Yeah, that'll be super. You can use that to take 20% off your CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com because if you like old restaurants and stuff like that, do take a trip over to OldSchoolShirts.com. We've got tons over there uh, from different cities that you can all check out. So, uh, Well, Dan, thanks for doing this. This was, this was great. I'm glad we finally got this. You would think uh, it took us 119 episodes to finally get to Chile. You wouldn't have thought we'd have gone that long. <laughs> well, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. All right, terrific. Again, well, uh, thank, thanks for being on, and uh, maybe we'll have you on again and talk more about chili and weird food and other books you've written. Cool. All right. Okay, guys. Thanks, Take care, guys. <laughs> All right. We'll see you. Thanks so much. Well, I've been sitting here for a thousand years or more, and I would leave if you would let me on the floor. No one sees the things you see on me. Dan Willard, 
That, of course, is Birdhouse, local band from the 1990s. And if you listen to episode 60 with Greg Martini from Birdhouse, you know that uh, that tune was borrowed, you might say, by one of the local chili chains for uh, an ad campaign circa 1995-ish. Uh, it wasn't one of our partners, is all I can tell you. Oh, and by the way, you can hear Roger David, CEO of Goldstar, on episode 55. I mentioned that at the beginning of the show. And uh, I could not find out which chili place used to be where Goldstar is now on Beachmont Avenue in Anderson Township. I thought it was chili time. I'm thinking now it may have been the Chili Company. I went back through the Anderson Township Facebook page, the photos from, and I could not find the picture somebody posted of that stretch of Beachmont Avenue. So if you know what it is, uh, go to the blog post on our website, sincereus.com, for this episode. Comment at the bottom and say, hey, PF, it was actually the Chili Company. Or maybe it was Chili Time. Who can say? All right. So, and now if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast or someone you'd like us to have back on the podcast, because we've done that before, drop us an email, podcast at cincyshirts.com, put podcast guest in the subject line, tell us who you'd like to have or have back, maybe a couple of sentences of why that person would be a good guest or would be a good guest again. Maybe we didn't talk about something you wanted to hear about. So uh, let me see. Oh, be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, of course, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, as always, check out those Cincy Short podcast archives. Like I told you, we've got the episode 55 with uh, Roger David of Gold Star. So if you want to know more about Chili, and then, of course, uh, Greg Martini from Birdhouse talking about music in the 90s and all that fun stuff. And uh, actress Amy Yazbek's been on, Johnny Bench, Bronson Arroyo. So do go back and check all of those out. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find all of their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find British t-shirts from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We have a lot of defunct uh, sports teams, you know, football, hockey, basketball, soccer, you name it. Uh, Lots of old shopping centers, restaurants, radio stations, and a selection of old video games as well. Like, we have some wrestling stuff on there, and we might have some of the uh, Major League Soccer Players Association stuff on there as well. If you know someone in uh, another town who's a big soccer fan, why direct them there to get some cool soccer shirts. And uh, so, uh, basically, it's like Cincy Shirts uh, for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is Go Empress. It's all one word. You can do that all lowercase, all uppercase. You can alternate upper and lowercase if you feel fancy. Uh, there's no space in there again. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order uh, hack. You can use it on both one time each. And then again, uh, follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.